Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and in this week's episode, my guest is Mary Ellen from Cafe at 407 and Ophelia's Place. This is a pretty special episode, and it's now, I think it's considered a tradition when, we, when you do it uh, more than once, and what I'm talking about is um, in a podcast episode for us to announce not only that the new Eat Local New York card is coming out, but also to announce who the organization is that we're going to be uh, supporting over the course of the next year. And if you're not familiar with how we do things around here at Eat Local New York, then uh, let me explain. Every year we have our discount card that we come out with. It's a great way for you to support locally owned restaurants. Uh, Cafe, for, uh, Cafe at 407 is one of those restaurants where... You purchase our Eat Local New York card for $25 at our website. And whenever you go out to eat at one of the 150 plus restaurants we have across the state, you show your card. And if you've spent $25 or more, then you receive $5 off of your order. And you can use that card as many times as you want over and over again for an entire year. So we're excited to say that the card for 2022, we're releasing a little bit early this year just because of the way that events are happening, but that card is going to be released uh, September 25th. It's Saturday. Uh, it's We're going to be at the uh, Food Truck Festival, Syracuse versus Rochester being put on by the Syracuse Food Truck Association. So we're going to be there that whole Saturday. We're going to have two booths there. Uh, selling the cards. You can stop by, say hello, learn more about us. And this year, I'm actually really excited to announce that we have developed a mobile app that is uh, available to be downloaded on the Apple App Store and on the Google Play Store. And the app is just going to do a lot of different things. So many cool features in there. You can find restaurants around the card. You can get notifications if you're near a participating restaurant, which, you know, so many years, if you're listening to this and you're a card holder, we hear from so many people that after over time, they forget that they have the card in their wallet. You know, they buy the card, they use it a lot right away, and then they completely forget they have it. Um, other times, um, they go into a restaurant and they forget that that restaurant's on the card, and so they never use it. So with the app, it's going to allow you to be reminded when you are in a restaurant or near a restaurant uh, that accepts the Eat Local card. So there's so many other cool features. We're going to have a passport where you can win gift cards to local restaurants. We're going to have a community board where you can post positive reviews, uh, an events calendar. You can access our blog and our podcast and our YouTube channel all through the app. And you can also use the app to show your card. And so we're just really excited about everything that's happening with it. The other part with our business, though, is that we donate 20% of all of our sales every year to a different nonprofit organization uh, that's here in right now in central New York. And this year, I'm, I'm really thrilled to announce that that organization is Ophelia's Place. I've had a really strong connection to Cafe at 407 and, and, and Mary Ellen and, and Ophelia's Place just for so many years, really with the cafe because you know, we were talking about it a little bit on the podcast, but I'd say like eight, nine, ten, you know, however many years ago, a while ago, I used to be up at the cafe every single week at the time I worked. I volunteered for uh, local churches. I grew up in the church um, culture uh, here in Syracuse. I was always a volunteer at different churches. And at the time, um, 
Uh, my pastor and I used to get together every single Tuesday at Cafe 407, and that was just such a important place in my development as a man, as a as uh, you know, at the time I was in my early twenties and kind of becoming an adult, and and uh, Cafe at Four Hundred Seven really just was that place that I could meet every week and and um, be mentored, and, and it was just such an important place, and it still is such an important place in the community, not just in Liverpool, but you know, in my opinion, here in Central New York and in Syracuse. So um, we're thrilled to be supporting them and doing our small, small part. And uh, you're a part of this experience with us. Every time that you purchase an Eat Local New York card, every time that you tell a friend or a family member about it or, or share a post on social media or like or, or whatever it is, anything that you do to help us in turn is helping Ophelia's place. And we're just so excited for this. You'll hear in the podcast, I mentioned a little bit about just how... Um, how we came about to, to really determine Ophelia's place was the organization that we were going to be supporting this year. And um, I think that it's really, it was just the right time and right circumstances. And I'm just really thrilled that we were able to do this. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mary Ellen. For people who are watching and listening, who don't know who you are, can you tell us uh, what you do? Yes, my name is Mary Ellen Clausen, and I am the founder of Ophelia's Place and Cafe at 407. Um, so my, so I can tell you the difference between bourbon and rye and everything. Rye is stronger. Is um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm drinking water then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my, I've been going to Cafe at 407 for uh, years and years and years. Um, I want to say it's like seven or eight years. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Used to go a lot more often. Uh, but like every Tuesday, I used to be there because I used to have a standing meeting with a friend there. But we used to, I mean, we were there all the time. We had, we rented the community room for weekly events for a few months. And, you know, I used to hang out with Scott Emery there a lot. And, oh, yeah. You know, um, when Dan was the cafe. Yep. Man, yeah. So that was... So the cafe has been open since 2009. Is that 12 okay. years? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So Dan was there 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think he was like the first, you know, connection that I had person that I knew that worked there. So their second manager. Yep. Yeah. Um, now how long has, so Ophelia's place started first. Is that correct? Yeah. We started that in 2002. Okay. And, um, and then what led you to start cafe at four or seven? So I think what I think the biggest thing was probably funding first. Um, but I also feel like when we started Ophelia's Place, we had a we started in our house. Then um, the church gave us an office um, and then we outgrew that. We were outgrowing it so quickly and we ended up renting a little house in the village of Liverpool. Okay. It was 900 square feet. I think it was $600 a month to rent the space. And we were doing a lot of support groups for families, for individuals that had struggled. We were helping people just navigate insurance issues because this is back in a time 
when parity, mental health parity didn't exist, right? Yeah. So we're trying to help them get access to care, et cetera, et cetera. And so it just became like, it was almost like this was why people were coming to it and it felt very, it was very heavy, right? It's, it's, this is a really tough disease. And I yeah. just kept thinking, if we could open up something, if we could create something that opened it up to the community, then the community could kind of be part of like this healing journey, mm-hmm. right? And so we went so far as to um, have somebody lay out the design of coffee, mm-hmm. uh, of a cafe in this little 900 square foot building. And my husband and I love we love coffee shops. We love independent coffee shops. We're motorcycle riders, so we would, you know, get on the bikes and we would try to find a coffee shop. Anytime we would travel, we'd look for independent coffee shops. So we collected all of this information on, on coffee shops. Yeah. And there was one coffee shop in Michigan that we visited, mm-hmm. and we're like, hey. And she was a designer. Mm-hmm. She's like, send me the layout, yeah. and I'll design it for you. Mm-hmm. So she designed it. Well, during this time, the building that we were in ended up being sold. Okay. And we had to find a new building. So Senator DeFrancisco, who was our senator at the time, um, he had been a supporter early on Mm. with Ophelia's Place. I called him, told him that our building was being sold and it was going to be torn down. We needed to find a new building. And I said, we just really, we just come off a huge two-day conference, Mm. uh, national conference that we hosted here in Syracuse. And we were out of money, Mm. um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was intense. And so I called him and said, hey, we're out of money. We're going to go back to um, our home. We'll do a capital campaign, come out kicking and screaming. Um, And, of course, he threw out this whole – at that point, we'd been involved with Ophelia's Place. It had been probably two and a half, three years old at that point. So um, he's like, wow, first of all, you've created too much momentum. You can't – you need to you need to move to you can't go back to home and start a capital campaign et cetera et cetera and he really pushed me hard on trying to create a revenue stream yeah. you know at the time you know insurance companies weren't covering or a lot of weren't covering for um, benefits um, and you know people were spending so much money on mental health care mm-hmm. we couldn't ask them to pay for support, right? And support is a really critical component of healing from all of this. So I just kept thinking, if the coffee shop isn't going to work here, Mm -hmm. the building is sold, what are we going to do? So we and the senator basically said, go find another location. Let me see if I can come up with some funding. Mm -hmm. So a couple of days later, I drove by 407 Tulip Street, Mm -hmm. And it was the business was for sale and the building for rent. Okay. We didn't want the business. What was and it? it was a it was a bookstore. It was a Christian oh, really? bookstore. Huh. Yeah. And she was selling the business. We again we didn't want that. And the owner of the building uh, was Bob Cole, who's Cole Muffler. Okay. I don't know if you yeah. remember Cole Muffler or not. Um, I contacted him and said, Look at we just want to buy the building. Is mm. it available? And he's like, Yeah, let me let me see what I can do. He called me back and said Yep, you can have the building. And so I called the senator and I said to John, I said, so we found a building. He said, how much is it? I said, 150000 And he said, how much do you need? I said, 150000 <laughs> What year was that? That was in 2005. And that building was only $150,000. $150,000, yeah. Now, keep in mind, so it's a 4,500-square-foot building. Okay. It looks nothing like it does now. Yeah. We've sunk, I would say, three quarters of a million to a million wow. dollars in it over the last 16 years wow. um, with grants that we got, um, 
community development grants, Mm -hmm. refaced the whole front of the building. When we first opened the building, when we first got the building, we just, I mean, it needed to be gutted. It was in pretty rough shape. And we started from the back and worked our way up. The back, we ended up, so we have a treatment partner, and they provide services within the inside the building. Mm -hmm. So they have um, an intensive outpatient program and outpatient services. So that's in the back of the building. And so we knew that if we did that, that would create some revenue for us, right? We'll we'll rent the space to them. And then that was, so we actually softly opened the building in like 2005. And then it took us from 2005 to 2009 to really get the cafe covered, like paid for grants written. Um, and open. It took us about a year to get approval from the village Liverpool to, cause we had to do a change of usage permit we had to do a parking survey. There's all kinds of all kinds of hoops that we had to jump through. So. That's one thing that I hear pretty frequently is um, from a lot of people that are getting into like restaurants, especially in the beginning, is how difficult it is to get through a lot of those red tape things. And um, I get it, especially with restaurants, yeah. right? It's a tough business, right. and. I mean, I didn't know anything about the yeah. coffee business except that I liked coffee. Yeah. And now ask me 12 years right. later what I know about it. I still like coffee. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of um, uh, um, Strong Hearts and, you know, their story of kind of how they started, you know, open up their restaurant cafe because, um, you know, they were going and, uh, participating in um, groups that were meeting, you know, about, you know, trying to spread awareness about, you know, the vegan lifestyle and things like that. And doing a lot in Syracuse and up at SU and have this group of people that was meeting and, you know, they would always get together and have these, uh, you know, potlucks essentially, um, mm. where they would all bring different, you know, vegan dishes. And, you know, one of their, like their egg trick uh, McMuffin, they call it, like that was from those potlucks that sell on the menu. But that's why they started the cafe was to bring awareness to, you know, the vegan lifestyle and be able to show, you know, you can like kind of, you know, support this lifestyle. Maybe not maybe not necessarily be vegan, but you can eat vegan friendly mm-hmm. foods and support it or learn more or convert or whatever. Um, and I told them in that podcast, it reminds me, I know plenty of churches from growing up in church that um, you know, did the same thing. You know, they put a coffee shop and opened up during the week. And, you know, the whole point of it was to, you know, show some sort of a normal side, I think to Christianity, maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but I grew up with kind of that same, you know, business model to a certain extent. Um, it was pretty interesting to hear them, to hear the guys that, uh, uh, strong hearts who had the exact same business model of starting yeah. a cafe for that, you know? And well, and it is a great way to raise awareness, right? Yeah. And it's also a great way to invite the community in. And I think that's what we saw happen. I mean, I, I imagined it, but I couldn't necessarily, you know, didn't really know if it would actually work. Yeah. And I just kept thinking if we can normalize this somehow, first of all, it validates the disease, right? Yeah. The fact that we exist and it helps to diffuse the crisis without minimizing the struggle, yeah. right? So just the fact that it exists, people come in, um, they support it. And for a lot of people, you know, they can't write, maybe they can't write us a check, yeah. but they can buy coffee or have lunch with us and it supports the work that we do. Yeah. And so that in turn is part of just the community, 
you know, it's that it's that shift of donor-centric fundraising to community-centric fundraising. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, that's what the cafe represents, is that yeah. it is about the community, you know, yeah. participating. And again, I think I've told you, I mean, you know this, that our tips are actually donations. Right. Um, and it has become, I mean, it's the single biggest, single biggest revenue stream for Ophelia's Place. Yeah. What's the biggest difference as, you know, the person running the organization and the person running the cafe, uh, like, are there massive shifts in your thinking between the two? Is no, that- we've worked really hard to integrate the two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and that's not, that's not easy. I mean, that yeah. is definitely a challenge. And I think it's always been front and foremost that the, it exists because um, it fills a gap in the community and because it is to provide the, you know, revenue for Ophelia's Place. Yeah. So we worked really hard with just doing um, – education with any staff that any cafe staff that come in Mm -hmm. and continuing education we have an online digital course that we offer and Mm -hmm. we offer that you know obviously free to any of the staff that come in Um, and again work really hard with language right Mm -hmm. so early on people would come in and say things like um how many calories are in mm-hmm. this? Or I'm going to be bad today yeah. and have a cookie, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we would, we would encourage that to be an opportunity to have a different conversation around it all. Yeah. Things like, well, you know, you're not bad if you eat a cookie. You're <laughs> only bad if you steal the cookie, right? <laughs> <laughs> Trying not to moralize right. this food that's in front of you. Yeah. Uh, so that is really important to us that we integrate that message. Yeah. And like, how was, um, I mean, what's it like on a day-to-day basis? Do you have a lot of, uh, well, I don't know. Is there like a goal that you're trying to convert a certain amount of like cafe goers into true believers or, you know? Well, I don't know. I think what it is, is that we want to be like, we refer to it as a low barrier entry point, right? So for somebody that is really struggling, but terrified Mm -hmm. to pick up the phone and call a treatment program or to call a professional, they can come in and get a cup of coffee. They can just kind of sit and, you know, take in the space. We have a resource wall so they can have access to resources there. Um, You know, for some people, they begin when they you know, because we've normalized eating disorders so much, right? And so some people will think, I don't, it's not my problem. I don't have an issue with that. But then they come in and they'll see the writing on the wall or they'll see some of the resources and they'll think, you know what, maybe my food is a little disordered. You know, what can I do about that? And so um, I don't think it's about converting them. I think it's about (laughs) educating them. Right. Yeah. yeah. How do you measure that conversion? <laughs> it's a really, and that's the other thing that's really hard, right? Is measuring outcomes in the yeah. work that we do, right? right? So mm-hmm. it's like, well, I think what we can do is just continue to show up and educate yeah. and meet yeah. people where they're at, right? Because that's really what it's about. You know, it's. Um, I remember this time I was I helped with a church plant in Phoenix, New York. And, uh, you know, we grew up in church and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and we were always there volunteering, you know, like, uh, famously my parents, when I was younger, the church was open, they were there, you know, just those type of people, Mm -hmm. you know, helping out with something. And, uh, for our church, um, uh, I don't know what denominational background you're from, but for our church in like the nineties, when the Toronto revival thing was happening, 
that meant that you were at church until like two or three in the morning at some, you know, some nights. And so that meant. I grew up was, Catholic. So okay, right. we went to five thirty mass on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> so for like, for the nineties, for the most part, for the late nineties, especially <laughs> there was a Friday night church service that went from like seven until two in the morning. Um, and my parents always did the food for the ministers, which meant the ministers weren't done until two in the morning, which meant they were still there serving and all that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. So we were always there for that. Um, but uh, I were so I remember there is this uh, and charismatic Christians are also famous for jumping churches, <laughs> and going from church to church to church, you know, until they find the right fit, quote unquote. Um, but. Uh, I remember I was at this, so I was at the church that I had helped start, and I was up there on like an off day, and uh, uh, I was like the music uh, leader, the worship leader, so I was up there like, you know, playing, getting ready, like the set list for that Sunday, and um, I must have left the door unlocked because some like guy walked in, and uh, it was at the old Three Rivers Inn, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it had like... Like my office was one of the old performers dressing rooms, you know, with like <laughs> the mirror with the light bulbs around it. Um, uh, and when we went in there, it still had like the streamers in the back wall and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So anyway, so I'm in there, you know, tinkering around on, on the piano and this guy walks in and he was like a truck driver who was driving by and stopped for something and somehow found his way into the church. And... Uh, so I'm sitting there playing. I look up and I see him. And I'm like, oh, so we start having this conversation. And the conversation basically where he and I are talking, he was from like Kansas or something like that. The conversation was essentially how this person is on the road all the time and he's on the road all the time. And the one thing that he really appreciates about the whenever he does make his way back to his church in Kansas that we go to is that he always sees the same people there volunteering, working like year after year, day after day. And, you know, for him that had, you know, 10 years later, having seen those people just kind of plugging away at their mission is what made an impact with him, Mm. you know. What a great story. Yeah, it wasn't about like the quick conversion and Mm -hmm. things like that. It was just like the The stability and the, mm -hmm. Um, I'd imagine that, uh, well, I mean, here we are 10 years later, however many years later, all the times that, I've spent it, you know, the cafe and, you know, this is maybe the year that now, uh, I'm taking the time to learn more about Ophelia's place and, you know, try and get involved, you know, as we can. So mm-hmm. the time, you know, yeah. The time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate that. <laughs> it was, um, so we'll, we'll, um, uh, uh, what, what's your relationship to Ray? Ray Ripple. Yeah. He is my niece's husband. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I surprised Ray when we told him last year when he came on the podcast that we were going to be donating to the United Way. But um, so uh, we were, you know, every year we donate 20% of our card sales to a different organization, nonprofit organization in the area. And so um, we've been, the first like two years, it was pretty quick. You know, we decided who we wanted to, you know, who to donate to. Last year, I was kind of struggling, you know, with like, all right, who are we really, you know, trying to decide like who, what organization do I have a connection to, if I do have a connection to any of them and like, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And um, 
you know, not wanting to just like throw the money away at, you know, Hey, here you go. Um, and we also, we also wanted to, and we had this with the United way last year, we wanted to have some sort of a connection with them, um, beyond just, Hey, here's a check. We wanted mm-hmm. to be involved and kind of help spread the word as much as we could. So this year, uh, you know, I think I told you this, but this year I was really struggling with, you know, just thinking for, you know, probably two or three months, who are we going to trying to decide instead of, you know, going and asking our followers who they wanted to save the money to. Um, so I was just trying to decide like who is, and I just could not think of anybody that really stood out. And so we, I think it was like the next day I was just going to, all right, we'll just do like a two week long Instagram campaign of people can vote which organization they want us to give the money to this year. And that's whoever gets the most votes. That's who it will be. And then I walked into Gearhars and you were standing there. You know? <laughs> I was like, that's it. Uh, that's is, amazing. Yeah. It was great timing. It was perfect timing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're excited. Divine. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so this year for the new card for uh, the remainder of 2021 and into 2022. So all sales of our eat local New York card, 20% of them will be going to Ophelia's place. We're so excited about that. And especially, especially now, right? Mm-hmm. So this year we typically do, we do several fundraisers throughout the year. And yeah. this year, none, we've just not had the capacity to do it. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting and draining and a good year, yeah. right? Let alone in a year that's the last 18 months of what they've been like. So this is a really big thing. And our budget isn't huge and our gap mm-hmm. isn't huge. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a big deal for us. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, of course. We're... We're really thrilled to, um, well, I'm thrilled just for that connection, you know, for that, uh, op- you know, uh, encounter. Because um, it did feel like there was something more behind it, you know, to have, like, been struggling, trying to figure out who it is, who it's going to be, and then randomly to see you there, which I don't think I've seen you in, I don't you know, think I've ever seen minute, you there. Right? Yeah, <laughs> or and there. I've never yeah. seen you there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so yeah, we're really excited about it. Yeah, so are we. Yeah, yeah, and we'll do a newsletter next week, and oh, after cool. you guys, yeah, announce this, and then if I could, I'll use your artwork and yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, we just order. I just pur- I was up till one in the morning last night ordering all of the, you know, stickers and postcards and all that kind of stuff that uh, has to go out because it was kind of like a panic that the twenty fifth is almost here. Yes, um, so, yes. Uh, so just getting all that kind of stuff and trying to get everything ironed out for the official release. Um, but yeah, no, we're excited. So, uh, so are we. What has been, I mean, if, is it, I don't know if you separate them like this, but was there one that was hard, more challenging to um, manage during COVID-19, during the pandemic, between the cafe and Ophelia's place? The cafe, for yeah. sure. Because Ophelia's place, we were able to take what we were doing and do it virtually. Okay. Um, and we had already had some of that set up anyways through our digital course. Mm-hmm. So that was a very easy transition. And actually, it ended up becoming more accessible to people, yeah. right? Because no matter what part of the country they're in, they can now access our online support groups. Yeah. Um, where the in-person support groups, obviously, they had to be within <laughs> driving yeah. distance. Right. Um, but the cafe has been a huge challenge, yeah. yes. And again, I know I'm not alone with that. Every other restaurant and coffee shop out there has struggled and dealt with that. I think for us, we had to be very intentional about how, like, reimagining it. Yeah. And we closed in March, and when everybody else did, when the world shut down, 
and then we reopened in June of okay. last year. And from March until June, at that point, all the staff was gone, right? Yeah. They were able to, you know, be able to get on unemployment mm-hmm. and make more than what I could have ever paid them. And I would right. have run out of money pretty quickly, right? Yeah. And so it was just pretty much me from March until June. And I hadn't been involved in the cafe that closely in years. Okay. So it was me putting myself back in that place of, oh my goodness, how do we do this? How do we move forward? Yeah. And I, I, it was really hard to close the cafe in March, but it was really hard to reopen. It was harder to reopen. Really? And I think it was because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, it had been literally been years and I'd had, I'd gone through, we, I find that about every two years we were going through a cafe manager. And yeah. I think it's just the nature of the business. Yeah. It's a very demanding business. Yeah. And we were open 68 hours a week. And as much as I never wanted management to go beyond 40 hours, you know, you're 50, 60 hour work yeah. weeks, right? right? And so um, it's, a, it's a tough business. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, yeah. how do we... You know, I've had managers running this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to work a fryer. I don't know how to work a char girl. I don't know how to do any of this. Yeah. Um, so I pretty much learned how to, I just started picking away at things. Yeah. And I started way out here. We're going to do all of these things. <laughs> and over the course of three and a half months, I went from being out here to yeah. down here. And we went from being open 68 hours a week to seven days a week mm-hmm. to five days a week, five hours a day. Yeah. We just, I would start, I would, I would do something. I'd say, okay, we're going to, this is what the menu is going to consist of. And then I would play around with it for a few days and realize we, can, we can't sustain that. That's, yeah. We don't have the capacity for that. So I took out the fryer. I took out the char grill. I took out all of the, I rearranged the line. I rearranged equipment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We were still doing our own bread, so I was still baking our... I learned how to bake bread. Who knew? Um, And biscuits, and it's like, well, the more we do in-house, the less we have to source out, the more money we're going to make, and then you start monetizing all of the labor involved in it. So we, I said, you know what? I ha- we have to open sooner than later. Yeah. So finally we made the decision sometime, I think it was the middle of June, that we would open, and... Hmm. We, you know, decided Wednesday through Sunday, Mondays and Tuesdays. Tuesday was just our slowest day of the week. I don't know why, but it was always our slowest. Um, And so it was kind of silly to be open every day but Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So we're like, well, we'll just close Monday and Tuesdays and be open five days. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, the community has been great. The response was, they were excited to see us open. And I think everybody... I mean, we tried to support local as much as we could. We tried to buy from the restaurants that stayed open um, as much as we could. And I think once we did open, you know, we're in the village, so it's a bit of a walkable community. So people were excited to be back out. We took our outdoor tables and moved them across the street in the park. We have that little park, Johnson Park there. Um, I called the village mayor and said, Hey, this is what we want to do. How do you guys feel about that? And can we not go through a hundred different hoops to make this happen? Um, and so he's like, yeah, go ahead. That was probably the best thing about, uh, I'm sure there are a few good things as as terrible as that might sound, but uh, about the pandemic, but one of them is that, you know, 
uh, local politics when it came to things like that. We're just like, sure. Sure. You know, Mm -hmm. go for it. And we found people were literally, they would buy their lunch, even on the plates that we served, Mm -hmm. they would go in the park and they'd spend a couple of hours over there and they'd Mm -hmm. bring the plates back. And if we were closed, they'd bring them back the next day. (laughs) So, I mean, it worked and we were grateful for that. Um, we, we did close again in December. Okay. The, um, I guess it was, was it, I guess the, the county exec yeah. said, you know, we're, things are getting bad. And when he announced the orange and yellow zones, yeah. even though we were in the yellow zone, uh-huh. it impacted business. Yeah. People, I think, just got scared and yeah. our business dropped significantly. So yeah. we're like, you know what? It's always, it's pretty, January is a pretty slow month typically in the restaurant right. business. So we made it to right the Saturday, I guess, whatever it was, right before Christmas. Yeah. And then we closed and reopened in the middle of February. Mm. So there is some restaurants. We have clients in Baldwinsville and, you know, one of them is, was on one side of the river or the other was on the other side. And, you know, one was in an orange zone, one was in a yellow zone. And the one in the yellow zone thought that they were going to get hammered with business because all the orange zone restaurants couldn't do anything for dine-in. And that wasn't the case. Um, you know, so, and I think there was a lot that were probably in similar situations, you yeah. know, restaurants that, uh, just didn't get the conversions that they thought that they would. Um, yeah, it's a tough, 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 tough industry. It is. And I just kept thinking, how can we, how can we reimagine this place? What maybe we'll do a fresh market. Mm-hmm. So I tried all of these things and none of them were working. And I would just say, okay, that's not working. What else can we do? And there would be a lot of waste around some of this, these items. Yeah. So finally, I'm like, you know what? We're going to do a very simple menu, <laughs> do the things that we do well and right, that's focus good. on that, and yeah. that works. Yeah. The food service industry, it's, um, it's challenging to kind of be really hyper-focused on what you do and just say, hey, we're going to do these few things really, really well. Um, I feel like in terms of like the menu and the food, I feel like we've like the public has accepted that in terms of hours of operation and days of the week. Um, they've somewhat accepted the fact that like, okay, they're not going to be like my wife and I have learned that, uh, you're, we're not going to go out anywhere to eat on a Monday because everyone's closed. Um, and after this last Friday, Saturday night, uh, honey, uh, who's listening, uh, we've realized that we're, I'm going to make a reservation when we go out to dinner on Saturday from now on. Um, we, uh, we did a video with Tassones, uh, who's a client on Sunday and angry garlic was like a guest appearance in the video. Uh, Jeff is the owner there. And I told them that they both of the restaurants caused my wife and I to get into a fight on Saturday night because we went to angry garlic for dinner and it was a two and a half hour wait. And then we went to Tassones and it was a 45 minute wait. And uh, then as we were driving back to the city to try and find another place to go to eat, that's when the argument ensued of where are we going to go and why didn't we make a reservation? Um, so, uh, so, but people are learning those things that, you know, okay, things have changed. It's not accessible all the time in terms of restaurants being open mm-hmm. when you want and how you want. And, you know, you kind of have to now make an effort to get to some of these places if you really want to know go experience the restaurant or get their food or whatever the case is and it's hard to say no to people it's hard to say no when so we had you had talked about you know meeting in the community room we had a community room that was dedicated for events and private parties and um you need we needed a full-time person to just manage that yeah 
And so now it's when people call and say, hey, we'd love to, you know, we have an event coming up. We have a baby shower or a bridal shower. We'd love to rent the space. It's like, and part of the problem too is staffing, right? Mm -hmm. We just don't have the staff for it. And so I'm working really hard for the staff not to get burned out and to manage the hours. And, Hmm. you know, I don't, and, and I don't have any extra beyond them. So if they're not available, then I'm doing it. And... Yeah, I don't have the capacity I used to. <laughs> have you noticed since? Uh, yeah, um, have you noticed since the unemployment has ended that like you've gotten a lot more inquiries for? No, staffing? I wish. <laughs> I wish. Yes. You and everybody else. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. I keep thinking yeah. we need to do some sort of shared employee system. Yeah, somebody else was just talking about them. Maybe it was if somebody was just mentioning that the other day. Yeah, I'm like, we should just actually, if three businesses can hire somebody 10 or 15 hours a week, that gives that person full-time hours. Because yeah. that's part of the problem right now. We don't need a full-time employee. Right. We have two full-time employees and two part-time employees yeah. that manage the 25 hours a week that we're open. Uh-huh. And I jump in and... Do yeah. dishes when I need to, right? Yeah. And so, if we could get another part-time employee, so we have a little bit deeper of a bench, that would be great. Yeah. But that's the other problem, right? Is that if a part-time employee comes in and we can only give them ten or twelve hours, that's not enough for them, right? Right. So it's like, well, what if we shared employees? Yeah. And exactly. what if three or four locations? It's kind of like caterers used to do that with servers, right? Yeah. You worked independent. A caterer mm-hmm. would hire you. Hey, are you available Saturday night for four hours? Great. I I need you. So it's kind of the same. That's my... Yeah. I don't want to orchestrate it. I don't want to execute it. I want somebody to say, this is what we got. We have a pool of employees over here. Yeah. We've always had for like four years, three or four years now, we've had the idea to try and facilitate um, staffing in restaurants. And so the thought was that we would have uh, workers... You know, we would vet, you know, they would send the resumes to us. We would vet them, you know, interview them ourselves, check the references, all that kind of stuff, do the background checks. And then we would just have this list of cooks and servers and dishwashers and whatever positions. And then restaurants could come to us and say, hey, I need a cook. And we would say, here's a list of, you know, 30 that are active that, you know, we've vetted. Um, and like most of my ideas, uh, I'm sure most people's ideas, you know, it's like, oh, it's a great idea, but then actually getting around to it. So, well, could uh, you add that to your to do yeah, list? I'll add that yeah, to my to do list because I think it could work. <laughs> yeah, we've thought about. I've thought about just even creating just a local job board online and mm-hmm. um, and doing it. You know, we were going to just buy SyracuseWorks.com and just have that pop up, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's not enough people that are looking for jobs right now that are that I know that like the demand from restaurants would be there, but the supply from staff still has not arrived yet. I don't no. know if it's going to come back. I mean, I genuinely have zero clue if people who were in the service industry and restaurant industry that went on unemployment and have just been, you know, milking it for lack of a better term, and just they're just waiting until they don't have money to go back to it. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think that's the case. Um, and some, I'm sure that a lot of them went to different industries. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know back around like the holiday season of last year, we had a client who they still were understaffed. They still are today. And she, you know, the owner was saying, listen, most of my servers who were laid off 
went and got jobs at Target and Walmart where there was benefits and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's more of a set schedule. And, um, you know, so I'm sure a lot of people in the service industry just jumped, you know, to different industries or started their own thing. Um, I don't know what the numbers were for uh, specific um, industries, but we had looked three months ago and 2019 numbers for the county for unemployment were around like 8,000 and three months ago it was still at like 16,000. Really? So it was still a lot, but during the height of the pandemic, I think it reached like 25 or 30,000 people. Um, so, but I don't know, you know, who those people are or what industries they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would, I got to believe that some people have left the industry and are yeah, coming back right. to it. People yeah. that are smarter than me. Yeah. Well, I have a client, I have, I have a friend who for the last, uh, like three years has been saying you and your wife should buy the restaurant, you know, we'll sell it to you for a great price. And we work with them. I know that they're a very successful and profitable restaurant, but I could not imagine trading my life for living in a restaurant the way that that job would but it's so alluring right there's something that is so alluring about it and i get all these sexy dreamy ideas about it and then i talk to people that are way smarter than me and they bring me back to earth and i'm like oh you're right i don't want to do that yeah no i'm not doing that yeah yeah and the reality is for us i mean ophelia's place couldn't have survived without the cafe really and I really do love the cafe. Yeah. I mean, it just feels hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a possibility of the of them existing apart from one another in the future? I mean, aside from like your desire or want to, um, which is another question, but, you know. I think the thing that would be really hard is that if we were to sell it, right? Um, and let somebody else. And we looked at that early on. Yeah. We did a, I did a ton of research, right? Like I approached other cafes and said, hey, would you, what if we just rented you the space? Mm-hmm. And you came in and we, we would be guaranteed that income of rent, right? And then the deeper we got into it, the more we thought, you know what, then we don't have any control over hours. We have no control over language that's used out there. Yeah. Um, and so it just seemed like, no, we... Why not? We need to open up our own cafe. And so I I think that would be the challenge now um, is if somebody, if they didn't align with our values and the mission, I think it could get, that could be challenging. Yeah. So that's what I feel like is so good about it right now is that it's manageable, right? Mm -hmm. It's 25 hours a week. We're open. Right. And we found a new source for bread, so we're not baking bread anymore. Um, and so that's really helpful. Um, so you've always had a really robust food menu there. Yes, and we've streamlined that. <laughs> People be like, when are you going to bring back this? And I don't know. It'll be a long time before that happens. <laughs> I hate answering those questions. For I know. Anymore. We had Tassone's uh, back to them, but they used to do all-you-can-eat Monday night crab legs. I mean, who, who wouldn't go who there? Who wouldn't go there for that? And uh, and I'm not kidding. Like, multiple times a week do they get requests on Facebook, when is that coming back? Um, and they just can't do it because of the pricing, the, the food cost for the crab legs, But um, or they probably would. 
but just people just there's some things that they're constantly asking when is that coming back when is that coming back so well and people will say are you going to bring hamburgers back are you going to bring french fries back Mm -hmm. and the downside is we close at one o'clock right so it's Right. Again, it limits the amount of time we're going to be selling burgers and fries. Yeah. So, and I learned a lot very quickly about fryers <laughs> and how much maintenance they yeah, need. And after the first time I cleaned it, oh yeah, I said that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to do it well, and yeah, you have to. Yeah. Yes, it's I'm like fun. I can't do this. I'm not yeah. cut out for this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what the uh, I can I can sort of get see like the romance and having a restaurant on like the coffee shop side, and I can kind of see it on like the really um, creative side, like Eden or Amano or you know things like that, Saint Urban. Um, I don't know what people are thinking by opening up like some of these restaurants. (laughs) It's just not everybody is going to be, and I'm sure Nick Sanford, if he were here from Toss and Fire, would say, you know, the exact opposite. But not everybody, you know, he started five years ago and now has three food trucks in two locations. Which is amazing. Um, You know, not everybody is going to be, you know, him. But uh, uh, yeah, I just, I really, it's it's a brutal, brutal, brutal industry uh, to be in. And... I'm sure there's others where it requires as much sacrifice, but it requires everything if you're mm-hmm. going to be successful. And success to in the restaurant industry is, you know, minim, like minuscule. Well, and I feel like for us, it was a perfect storm because at the time there was no other coffee shops in the village of Liverpool. There was the gas station mm-hmm. or the grocery store, Nichols Grocery Store, that you yeah. could get right a cup of coffee. Um, other than that, there wasn't anything. Yeah. And because it's a walkable community, because we're right off of 370 and 57, there's a lot of traffic that goes mm-hmm. by. Um, it just, and we had the building. Yeah. Like we owned the building. Right. So for us, it just, and we didn't need 4,500 square feet. Right. You know, do I have, would I do things differently? For sure, I would do things differently. Yeah. I would never have done such a large footprint. Yeah. You know, the cafe is about 1,800 square feet. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have done that again. I would have made it much smaller. Why? Um, because it's just, it's that much more to close. It's that much okay. bigger. And, and you can get a lot. Yeah. Granted, we're six feet, you know, we're, yeah. we're practicing social distances, but you can get a lot in a small space. Yeah. And so I didn't know anything about kitchens. I just knew what I, I every time yeah. I would travel, I would come back and I would rearrange things in the kitchen mm-hmm. or the line, yeah. or I would write a grant to, and... <laughs> In my head, it all made sense, but in execution, I just added more steps to right. people's workloads. So I'm like, okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And then in 2014, we were operating out of a residential kitchen. Uh-huh. I mean, the kitchen was maybe eight by 10. Okay. You, the nice thing about it was you literally could stand in the middle and you could, you could touch yeah. the microwave, the stove, right? The sink, all of that. We didn't have a dishwasher. Hmm. We, well, except for my husband, when he got out of work, he would come by and do the dishes. And so in 2014, we ended up writing some grants to say, hey, we need a full commercial kitchen. Our, we can't, this is, it's generating so much income for us, but we can't grow because of this. Yeah. So we put in a $75,000 kitchen. Yeah. And again, even that was a challenge, right? Trying to figure out what makes the most sense and how do we want to lay this out? And even since then we've made a lot of changes to it. Um, but yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
thinking through uh, it all. I mean, aside from like having that specific building in such a large space, but if you could go back to that decision again, maybe Ophelia's place is you know meeting in a different building. Do you think you would still do some sort of a cafe that's connected to the two? Yeah, I probably was never gonna not do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was because that seed had been planted so long ago, right. right? In that building that we were in, I have the plans for it in 2004 of how we're going to create this little coffee bar. And, you know, I got all dreamy about it. I, I think I would continue to be dreamy about it no matter what until yeah. we opened up a coffee shop. Yeah. So, yeah, I and I do love it. I love, I love how much the community has supported it. Yeah. Um, and they've adjusted. It's like you talk about, you need to adjust, right? And the weekends, if you want to go out for dinner, you know, you know, you need to make reservations. Right. Well, and our customers have done that, mm-hmm. right? They've changed the, how they, some of them change how they do their, their work day. Yeah. Right. They'll be like, I know that you're not open on Mondays or Tuesdays. So this is what I do on those days. But yeah. then I know I can come here, you know, right. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Cracked bean is, um, uh, roastery. So now they're in yeah. Eastwood. Yeah. And you know, same thing. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, when they opened, I had, you know, not when I was working at Gearhars, I would, you know, rearranged my, you know, route in so that way I could go there to get coffee. Um, uh, and then there were some days I'd go in, in the morning, you know, cause they didn't open till eight, but now they open at seven. So, um, but yeah, my, you know, I've changed my schedule a little bit so mm-hmm. that way I can go in there, even though they're a client, um, uh, it does help to have a client that I, you can go and like sit in and do work in, uh, yeah. Because you can't do that at a diner. Uh, but it's, so I've changed, you know, a little bit of my routine so that way I can go when I know they're there and they're mm-hmm. open and you know, yeah, it's great. It um, is, yeah. So if you're going to get into the business, I'd say get into the cafe right. business. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not the full restaurant business, but the cafe business. Well, I mean, you did start it around the time. I mean, I, I'm trying. I was when you were talking, I was trying to think of when. Recess and Kubal, because they all kind of opened around the same time. I think they were a couple years, maybe two years before me. Yes. I mean, you were at the beginning of that whole specialty coffee wave in Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It is exciting. I mean, there's something really painful about having it, but there's also something like, you know, um, it like has to exist to mm-hmm. a certain degree, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, it has saved us so much from not having to fundraise mm-hmm. and write grants that in itself is yeah. grant writing is exhausting. And so it's like, okay, this is, and it's helpful too for the people that do fund us, yeah. right? Cause they see that we're doing our part. Right. Right. And we're trying, I mean, that's my goal. I say yeah. I can, I will retire when, when the organization can be fully sustainable so, 20 years later. Here I am. I was, <laughs> I was, that was, you know, my next questions were, uh, what else do you want to do there? Either, actually, let me ask you. So what else do you want to accomplish with Ophelia's place? I think it is to be self-sustaining. Yeah. Yeah. And so the cafe, again, being the single biggest um, funding source, we have, um, our education program, our digital course, also has a product line, and so we were actually meeting today about that of creating another LLC mm. um, that's a you know a social enterprise or yeah. product that can support the organization. That's cool. So, and we sell a lot of product at the cafe, and we have a Etsy site, and so we haven't spent a lot of time in the branding and the marketing of it oh, yeah. because we have a built-in audience at the cafe. 
But today when we were talking about it, we're like, does it make sense to do another LLC and really push the, what we've referred to as the EBIB product line? Um, Yeah. So that would be, that's the next step. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about... um, And then retirement. Well, so that's kind of, I mean, uh, I know that you still have a lot to accomplish and I'm sure you have, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, That's my, yeah. Uh, I was trying to think of a... Whatever. Anyways. Uh, no, go ahead. What were you trying to think of? I was trying to think of a, like, in my, I'm, a lot of times I'm thinking, is what I'm about to say going to sound really dumb when I'm listening to this later? Uh, I usually don't listen to any of our, the podcasts over again because most of the time I'm just thinking how stupid I sound. <laughs> um, but then I found out in one of the episodes, because these aren't edited, I left in a part in the podcast where I told uh, the former Jess, uh, I told her, hey, cut this part out. But then I kept that in. <laughs> and I never listened to it back through again to find somebody at, at work said, you know, you left that part in the podcast. Anyways, um, so I was trying to think of how to break. But um, have you thought about an exit, uh, like exit strategy? <laughs> For about 20 years. For about 20 years. So, do you, are you familiar with Syracuse Woman Magazine? Yeah. So, I was on their cover for their one-year anniversary. Okay. I was announced my retirement. Then. Oh, really? I think the cover. <laughs> I think the cover said something like Ophelia's place in her rearview mirror because I was a picture of me on my motorcycle. <laughs> That's hilarious. And the one-year anniversary party was at the cafe. Oh, my God. And there was a cake with my picture on it. That's, a, <laughs> That's how legit my retirement was. <laughs> I hope you didn't get, like, a bunch of gifts from... Uh, so here's what I realized. <laughs> I had no plan. Yeah. I had no exit strategy. Yeah. I had no tr- succession plan. I had. I just thought, I don't know what I thought. I was yeah. tired, and I'm like, I'm right. going to retire. So the Gifford Foundation, right, a local right. foundation here... They come to the. They would come to the cafe a lot, and they loved the model, and they were always yeah. talking about the model. And, um, you know, one day I was talking to them about retiring, and they're like, "Here's the deal: we're going to give you a grant to hire a consultant that can come in and help you with the su- succession plan because we are so tired of you talking about your <laughs> retirement." That's hilarious. Like touche. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. they did, and that was back in. <laughs> Probably five years ago. Wow. Six years ago. Yeah. And then we had some unforeseen circumstances occur with a cafe that set us back a long time. And so it's like, okay, I guess I need to. Yeah. So here I am. All right. Yeah. 20 year, it'll be 20 years this January. My, my, uh, my wife has gotten used to this about me, but uh, I fly by the seat of my pants with a lot of things. And... Um, we're so busy right now in the business that um, we got rid of one client and I told my wife just like two or three days ago, you know, I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to hold off and taking a new one on right now. I'm just going to focus on, you know, what we have and, you know, strengthening that and the card and all that kind of stuff. And then like the next day somebody called, Hey, can you do this uh, monthly video thing for us? Like, yeah, sure. We'd love to. You kidding me? (laughs) I think part of it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm like, I am learning more, I think, uh, I'm learning more 
now being on my own, even though it's just been like a week and a half, mm-hmm. and probably in a month, I'm going to listen to this podcast and think about how stupid this sounds. But in the past week and a half, I've learned more about myself um, and how I operate and why I operate a little bit than I have in like the past three or four years. Um, you know, one of those things being that um, I've noticed like how negative I, you know, used to be um, working for uh, other people. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't really have a coworker or a boss to complain about anymore. <laughs> Uh, you are it. Yeah. You have to complain to yourself right. about you. Yes. And I've been jokingly saying to some friends in like group texts, like, you know, my coworkers don't like me, you know, <laughs> things like that now. And I thought it would be funny to create an employee of the month program yes. and announce it on social media. Every yes, month. you um, should. Give myself a plaque. But um, so I have learned just like kind of some things like, well, why was I doing that for so long? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like kind of... Uh, stepping out on your own and like kind of, you know, having, you know, some more, um, audacious things that like you're kind of trying to accomplish can really bring to the forefront things, uh, positive or negative, you know, that you're trying well, and to- especially for somebody like you, that's such a creative, right. Mm, yeah. You know, it also gives you that freedom to yeah. be able to fly more by the seat right. of your pants. And I'm a, have you I been didn't, like that? I didn't think I, I didn't think I used to be, um, but I apparently am. So, um, you know, when our girls got, when our girls were so sick with eating disorders, I was, my, my previous life was sales and marketing, right? And so, you know, it was a Monday through Friday. I worked for my brother and his business and um, it was great. I helped them to build it. We had a great time. It was a great business. I sold widgets. I loved it. It was, you could measure all of your outcomes, right? This was a successful campaign, right? It was very easy. And then, you know, when the girls got sick and we started struggling with getting them treatment and access to care and all of that and started thinking about, I mean, literally my daughter came home from treatment in December of 2001. Mm-hmm. And she was the one that said to me, you know, I'm, I'm just really struggling. I'm struggling. I've been in treatment for four and a half months in this ranch out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I'm back in upstate New York and I feel like I'm a fish out of water and I, yeah. I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I wish there was a place here that I could go to. Hmm. I'm like, tell me what that place would look like. (laughs) Well, I would provide support groups. It would be safe. I know I wasn't alone. I was heard. I was seen. Hmm. That was in December. In January, I took an ad out of the penny saver (laughs) and said, if you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, we want to hear from you. (laughs) So at the end of January, we held an open house at a little wellness clinic in the village of Liverpool. 75 people came. Wow. And we identified three needs, right? That was providers that were looking for more education, individuals that were struggling, that were looking for treatment, and families that were looking for how to, how to support a loved one through this. Yeah. And that was at the end of January. And then at the end of February, we put a billboard up because we were, I can look back now and say what we were doing was a needs assessment. Yeah. At the time, I was flying by the seat right. of my pants thinking, yeah. you know, we need to, I need to know if this is a need in the community, a true need in the community. Yeah. And so um, Lamar Outdoor Advertising said, you know, we're, we'll give you a billboard wow. for a month to advertise. Hmm. And it was this um, artwork, and the message was, some women don't just die it, they die. Hmm. And then we were going to do like a press release the next day. It was kicking off National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. We were going to lobby in Washington for mental health parity. And the night before, I say to my husband, you know, the billboard is up. Do you want to go and take a look at it? He's like, Sure. 
So we drive downtown to look at the billboard, and again, the you look up there, and it says, for more information, please call. It was our home phone number. <laughs> My husband goes, that, that's our home phone number. I'm like, yeah, isn't that great? He's like, did you think that through first before you put that up there? Wow. I go, well, what other number? It's 20 years ago, right? Yeah. No one, you didn't have cell phones. Right. You had bag phones, yeah. right? And so I'm like, I, I didn't know what other number to put up there. He's like, I, I think this was something we probably should have had a conversation about. <laughs> so we leave that day. We go to, we go to um, D.C. We're there for several days. We're lobbying for mental health parity. We come back, and our answering machine was filled wow. with people saying, your story is my story. Wow. And this is what we're looking for. We need help. And then the rest is history. I mm-hmm. literally, six months later, quit my job. Ma'am. Over dinner one night, I told my husband that. <laughs> so you do, yeah. By the way, honey, you should right. know. Yeah. He's like, how was your day? I'm like, it was good to quit my job. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> my job. Yeah. Again, he's like, could we have some conversation? And the rest literally is history. And yeah. I mean, hmm. and it, we never, never anticipated it to be what it is today. Yeah. Which, again, I think just speaks to the overwhelming need for There's- services. Was there a dream for it to be like, I, you know, you didn't an- anticipate it, but did, were you thinking, was there some sort of a dream that said like one day it'll be this big, but I don't no. think it will be? No, I never thought that. Actually, what ended up happening after, so I met Ray, yeah. right, in 2000, and I guess it would have been 2004, a year after we'd started, and he was working for Clear Channel Radio, and so we ended up partnering with them and Blue Cross Blue Shield to create a Caring for the Community initiative, hmm. which would be a three-year contract where we raised awareness, and we would end the every year with a conference. Okay. And so it was also very challenging because it was Blue Cross Blue Shield, and at the time, they didn't support mental health parity. Hmm. I was lobbying for mental health parity, yeah. so it became a very relationship and that year in 2005 it was like in february of 2005 was when we held this conference that we had 350 people come from across the country 27 presenters it was phenomenal clear channel did these um, awareness campaigns that ended up winning for best psas for new york state and then they went on national Hmm. um and they had you know celebrities like Paul Abdul and Emmy mm. that were doing these commercials. And that ended in February. I was exhausted from that conference, from that whole long campaign. We were completely broke. Anything that the conference had brought in, we had used to hire more staff, right? Um, it's now April. I'm paying hotel bills on my personal credit card <laughs> because I have to pay the hotel. That I'll, All of these presenters yeah. came, right? I sent them all emails. I sent 22 emails to these all the these experts in the field of eating disorders, and said, here's the deal. You don't know me. I have a small nonprofit in upstate New York. I cannot pay you for a speaker's fee or travel reimbursement, but I'd like to invite you to the first <laughs> annual New York State Conference in the middle of February in Syracuse, New York. Once you get here, we will wine you and dine you. Yeah. 21 people responded and said, we'll be there. Wow. And so it was this huge event. Hmm. We get through that. We're broke. It's April. I pull up to the building that they'd been told that the building was sold and I needed to find a new home. And there's literally a bulldozer out front. Wow. I'm like, oh, I guess I better. I just was avoiding it. Yeah. 
So that's when I said, called the senator. We find this building. I literally was exhausted. I never thought. I thought this is, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. We now have more access to care. We have made some progress with insurance companies. Yeah. I don't need to do this anymore. And then DeFrancisco, I blame him all the time. <laughs> this is your fault. He was in a couple of weeks ago, actually. He stopped by, oh, and really? he's since retired, right? Yeah. And uh, hmm. I'm like, yeah, every day, every day I think wow. about you. Yeah. So, no, we never anticipated it. And then I just kind of got caught up with. Yeah. I've, I've had a few major, you know, breakdowns over the years. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going up to Lake Placid next month, and... Um, uh, I think I said that earlier. And um, the last time I was there was uh, maybe four years ago. It was when we had first started like the marketing business. And I mean, you know, it was nothing, right? We were doing it for like two two businesses at the time. And then it had gotten to be so much that um, I always tell the story and equate it to uh, when I used to smoke cigarettes. And that is that when you first start smoking, you know, you start to get nauseous and uh, at the time, <laughs> my cousin uh, Daniel uh, had told me, well, if you smoke through that, it'll be fine. Well, you smoke through that and you, then you're addicted to nicotine. Yes, yes. Um, and that's like these, I make that same uh, uh, comparison with uh, social media uh, because in the early days, I would just get so burned out. I would throw my phone in the water. But then I just made a Facebook post through that, and now I'm addicted to it. So, uh, But there was one night where I was just so incredibly done that I was hanging out with friends. I was just frustrated. My phone kept you know, buzzing with notifications. And it was, I think, 8 p.m., and I said, I'm going to Lake Placid for the night. And I like jumped in my car and drove, drove up to Lake, Lake Placid and got in at like midnight and got a hotel room and then left the next morning and drove back after getting breakfast. I, I, I did go up to, it was, you know, definitely like a moment of clarity because I, I drove up, it was in the spring, early spring, but I decided, and I chose Lake Placid because I've been seeing people tag um, Whiteface Mountain and mm. like the view of the mm-hmm. lake. From, and so I was like, I just need to get up there and, you know, zone out. And to see bit. it, yeah. And so it was, you know, 55, 60 degrees down in town. And at the top, it was a blizzard and you couldn't do anything. And so I drove, you know, I went through like the booth. They said, you can't go to the top, but you can drive up there. And so I just drove up there. And I mean, it was literally like you couldn't see, you know, five feet in front of, but I just needed to get out and spend Mm -hmm. like 30 minutes up there and then drove back home and everything was fine. (laughs) I usually would take, you know, a day or two off from work and just, yeah. You know, sit on the living room floor and yeah, 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 process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and a lot of times these are stories that you don't hear, right? Right, yeah. So I would see all of these other nonprofits and all of these other businesses that would be like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, <laughs> constantly thinking, I don't know how they do it. Right. Uh, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, yeah, I realize I, I know less, I feel like I know less about the business than I should. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. That's always the case, though. I mean, there is always something more, you know, just, um, I feel like when I get a hold, you know, when I feel like I get a hold of something, like a topic or a subject or whatever, that you're how to process 
but then I find somebody else that's like doing it better or differently or more creatively or actually Jess sitting over there is a great example of that. Whenever I think I, t I take a great picture, I see one of her clients posts. I'm like, well, not that good. Um, <laughs> so I still have some, something more to do, you know, um, or I see, I do something what I think is creative and I see something that's more creative. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm in the very beginning to really have found any clarity in any of that. But <laughs> when um, you do, would you let me know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Cause I yet to find clarity. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having really, me. It was a pleasure. Um, I mean, honestly, I think there's probably another podcast about, you know, to talk more about, you know, some of the more details of getting started with Ophelia's place and all that. But, um, we'll do that in the future. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, My next you. meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Your next <laughs> retirement party. My next retirement <laughs> party. That's it. Yes. <laughs> well, everybody check out Cafe at 407 uh, in Liverpool and check out Ophelia's Place. And what is the website that people can find out more? Ophelia'sPlace.org and Cafe at 407.org. Awesome. And we'll have links to that on our website. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Well, there it is, everybody. Again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's really been a long time since we've been in sort of a normal routine here with the podcast. Um, a couple of things are, have happened recently, and we're about to be spending so much more time focused on the business and focused on uh, really being consistent with our content and getting great stories out about these small business owners and restaurant owners and chefs and just industry people. Um, I was so fortunate. We've, I've had this business for five years now. We've been trying to grow the local restaurant scene here in, in central New York and now in the whole state. And so we were able to finally, I was able to finally quit my day job and be able to focus on eat local New York hundred uh, percent. So I'm so excited about that. And for those of you that have been listeners to the podcast for the past couple of years, thank you so much for subscribing and listening and, and sharing these these episodes and uh, we're excited just to really turn the notch up turn the heat up and uh, and really just be able to start putting out so much more content um, and again really the main point of all of this is to help grow the local restaurant industry in New York State so thank you again for you listening and supporting us that's all I have for you this week we're going to catch you next week right here on the Eat Local New York podcast. Tell me, dear, what is it you hope to find? Is it something true just another lie? I don't want to waste all of your time Break your heart, baby, I just might I know how it feels to be lonesome
most of my days having no one. 